Guess who's back? Yeah, buddy. It's old Romberg here coming at you out the huddle podcast within 48 hours of the big kickoff in Camping World Stadium tomorrow night as we take on the Florida Gators, the pretty boys of college football. And why are they pretty boys? Jesse Palmer, one word. Good morning, America. Bachelor, good looking gentleman. All the ladies love him former quarterback, University of Florida. Good buddy of mine, Canadian as well. That's where he gets my stamp of approval, more so than uh, than the University of Florida, that's for sure. Anyhow, man, it's Romberg Out the Huddle podcast. We got something real special, real special for you for the next hour, especially if you're driving up to Orlando right now or getting ready, even sitting on a plane. Get ready to download this mother scruncher. I'm going to blow your doors off. Miami Hurricanes traveling up on Friday. I don't know if everybody knows this, but uh, – but I kind of been hanging around practice quite a bit. I've been over there taking a peek at what's been going on. Spring. Brian McKinney ended up calling me the other day asking me to come on in and help out with the offensive line. Somebody from there reached out to him, one of the players who had a nice little relationship with Brian. Uh, ended up calling me up and saying, could you please help me out? I need to go ahead and talk to these young men. Let them know what it is to be a champion at the University of Miami. I said, hell yeah, bro. Whatever you need from me, you know I got it. Whenever a Hall of Famer, Bryant McKinney, calls, we all kind of jump. Same thing with Joaquin, Bibla, Shirko, whatever it is, man. You know how this family rolls. University of Miami, Kane's O-line. We're like mushrooms. Keep feeding us shit. Keep us in the dark. We'll keep getting bigger. We'll grow. Anywho, Canes and Gators, right? So let me spit you a little bit of knowledge. Just the thing that you might need to know about what the latest and greatest is. So this series... I'll start you off with some layman stuff. This series, 29 and 26. So every single time that these Canes have played the Gators, the Canes have won 29 times. The Gators have won 26. 2018 record, right? I know we don't like looking in the past. We like looking now, now, not in the future. Freaking now. What have you done for me lately? That's what this game is all about. So last season... Seven and six. Very disappointing. Mark Rick era. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. We were looking for anything and everything to go ahead and replace Al Golden. Trust me. I know. I was one of the people that wanted him out as well. Not to go ahead and look for a man to get fired or go ahead and hunt for somebody's job or take money off of his table. But let's face it. Alumni and fan base, we had enough of Al Golden. So we get Mark Rick. Comes in. I'm telling you right now, able to sell ketchup to a woman in white gloves. It's unbelievable how good he was for this program. I'm going to give him his due, for real. Mark Richt got us that sofa building, got us the indoor, got us the extensions, got us great coaching, wanted his assistant coaches to be paid. Let's not forget, we're in Miami. The cost of living is redonkulous. Property tax, yes, November, everybody hates it. We got to pay it. That's the way it is down here. Mark Rick gets his assistants paid a little bit more money. They had to open up the cobwebs of that wallet that they had in their back pocket. I'm talking about the university staff. Yes, I'm talking about the chair, the board. They needed to pay somebody, right? We needed a head coach that can not only come in here, a name, but we also wanted something sexy about it. We wanted assistants in here. We wanted guys that are going to be able to go ahead and develop the young talent that we were getting. Yes, Al Golden had recruiting classes. But they weren't developing the freaking talent. That's the problem. That's the complaint we always had. So we needed coaches that are not only capable, but are also willing to come here and participate in the University of Miami and the history and the love that everybody else has for this program. So 7-6 and six last year. 
dud. Freaking dud. So, fast forward, December. Now, the game is over with. The new year's about to ring in. And, uh, and Mark Richt ends up, no pun intended, basically having to come to Jesus moment with himself and his family and having to make that phone call over to Manny Diaz and Blake James, the athletic director, and letting him know that he's no longer got it, basically. It doesn't have what it takes in order to go ahead and run this program. Uh, I think his exact words to Blake James were, I know what this school needs, and I ain't got it. So... 18 years of head coaching or 14 years of head coaching, 30 years of being a coach, it kind of wears thin, takes a lot of energy, a lot of time away from the family. And uh, I imagine that compounded with uh, the media and the ridicule that he was receiving down here towards the latter part of that season. Uh, I, I basically think he had enough. But, but Mark Richt, instead of trying to stay and run the program into the ground, and collect a check, he did the honorable thing and, and ultimately bowed out and, and wanted to go ahead and pass the baton on to somebody who, uh, who, who wanted it and had the energy to do so. But unfortunately for us, Manny Diaz was already out the door. And uh, a couple days later, uh, to the point where Manny Diaz, 48 hours removed from the University of Miami, was getting ready to go ahead and assemble his coaching staff for Temple, even interviewing offensive coordinators down here in Miami, uh, he, he had a little bit of a, uh, I'm not going to go ahead and take the job because I'm going back to the University of Miami and I'm going to be the head coach at the University of Miami. But thank God he made that decision. Uh, although University of Miami had to pay a lot of money to back him out of that Temple contract, uh, we also saved our asses with a few coaches as well. I know Manny was going to go ahead and pluck a few coaches. Some were going to stay, but on top of that, you had players who were ultimately contemplating on leaving the University of Miami and entering into the NFL draft if Manny's decision to depart uh, was, was going to come to fruition. But uh, thank God for us, we still have our linebackers. Yeah, man, we got the linebacking crew here. But, uh, but we got Patchen, we got Garvin, uh, we got quite a bit going on on the outsides. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, uh, to seeing quite a bit of havoc, to be perfectly honest, in that backfield. Uh, and, and I think they're going to be there quite often. Uh, they might need to go ahead and buy a tent, maybe some sleeping bags, because I feel like they're going to be back there quite a bit. Uh, the right tackle, DeLance, who apparently might be starting. Um, big body, pretty good on the run block, uh, but, but again, going to suffer. Going to suffer pretty bad on that pass blocking. And, 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 I'm, and I'm thinking that uh, it's going to be a nice little day for that front seven of ours on our defense. Um, I, I, that, that, that right tackle, by the way, is, is another transfer. It seems like it's a, it's a reoccurring thing right now that I keep seeing in college football where you're trying to win now. So you're trying to get guys that, that are experienced. They're going to be able to come in and actually perform for you. Then I'm not going to get the shock and awe factor of, of a, of a 70,000, 80,000 person crowd, uh, on top of the fact that he's going to be uh, learning a playbook and playing. So so you got to kind of rely on some guys, maybe some veteran guys that might be able to go ahead and, and step in there to be uh, a pretty, pretty accountable body if you want to get into that. Pretty, pretty accountable. So I, I kind of talked about their, 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 their weaknesses. Um, and, and, and I guess you can say it, it ties in with, with some of our strengths. So, but to be perfectly honest, I... I think both teams are going to be pretty vulnerable on the edges. I think both teams have that fresh meat at the tackle box position. 
Um, I think they, uh, they both might get a little exposed, but again, it's going to be that learning curve, that, that, that learning curve that is going to propel you throughout the season where last year, I feel like we kind of folded, you know, how are we going to respond? How are we going to, how are we going to answer the bell when we're getting punched in the mouth a little bit? Because don't sleep on the fact that Jaron Williams is, is, is an unproven, un, uh, unhit new quarterback that is going to be behind our offensive line. So you know what? You know what I thought? I ultimately thought who better to voice their opinion on being an unproven quarterback other than the man that used to tickle between my legs for about three years. You know who that is, man. That's the infamous Kenneth Simon Dorsey, my quarterback, my roommate in college. Ken Dorsey joining us right now to go ahead and give us his perspective on what it feels like going into a big game like this being unproven. Obviously, going into your first start, I think there's always going to be nerves and anxiety. I remember there really was for me, um, you know, when I was in the NFL and, and in college, those first starts were always a little bit nerve-wracking. You just you practice hard, you prepare hard, you just never really fully know what to expect. But I think also part of it is just kind of the uncertainty of, of if you've got new guys around you and, and uh, you know, some, some guys who are first-time starters there, uh, especially in college where you don't have free agency. They might be young guys who you just don't, haven't worked a lot with. So definitely those, those, kind of, uh, those kind of things creep into your mind. But you guys have a lot of trust in, in the guys around you, trust the preparation you put in, and, and, uh, and trust that the coaches have done everything that they can to put you in the right position and put your, your guys in the right position around you. I want to thank Ken Dorsey for coming on and shouting us out here a little bit as well. Buffalo Bills staffer leaving FIU for going up and getting in the big leagues. I see increasing that pension, baby. Sweet number 11 with them beautiful whispers in my ear. I don't know, man. It kind of tickles my pickle a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. But again, he's making it sound easy, man. But we're talking about exploiting defenses, defensive backfields. That's what he's got to do. Blind. So I think, uh, I think getting his... Uh, his pop in early is going to be key, uh, just like getting our pop in early is going to be key. So, so I'm looking for Manny Diaz and, and Coach Baker and, and Ephraim Banda to go ahead and light the world on fire early and often because I don't believe that, that they're going to be able to expose our defensive backs. Are we going to have a couple blown coverages? I think so, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I, I think the rotation that we got in the defensive backfield right now is um, – is fresh um, blades ivy uh, you're dealing with bandy and uh, and, and, and you got Bubba and, and you got Amari Carter back there as well that are gonna be at the safety position but but there's a lot of rotation and, and listening to Ed Reed talk over the years communication is so imperative when, when you're dealing with that defensive backfield to the point where you know a spring and and, and a fall camp is not going to be enough uh, especially when you've been going against our offense which has been, to be perfectly honest, not awesome throughout this camp. I, I think that our offense, which everybody knows, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a learning curve. You're bringing in Dan Enos, a guy from the University of Alabama who's been dealing with Heisman candidate uh, and caliber style quarterbacks um, throughout the last couple of years. It's tough coming in and, and not even knowing who your quarterback is, number one. Number two, dealing with a guy that, that for the most part we all thought was going to be the next coming of Christ with Tate Martell and through the transfer portal, who right now is currently sitting at the third quarterback spot. And, and from what I'm hearing is, is lucky to be even holding that down, to tell you the truth. I know a lot of people were excited about 
Tate Martell and and what he could possibly bring. The only thing he brought was uh, was his girlfriend. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I don't know. Jesus, I've I've gone on this about 350 times twice on Sunday since uh, since I was on the radio over there. Was was goddamn girlfriend of his? Do yourself a favor. And I'm not trying to throw her some more followers, but uh, but take a peek at what's going on with uh, IG account on Kiki Paso. One word, one freaking word. Kiki Paso player. Whoo, strong, uh, strong to quite strong. But uh, but like I said, you can't be successful at the University of Miami and have a girlfriend that looks like that at the quarterback spot. Fat centers did it. Proven. The guy talking to you right now. Proven to have a smoke show girlfriend and to be able to be successful. But at the quarterback spot, man, no way. You cannot have any distractions. And, and I interviewed Jaron Williams for, for XM Radio, uh, asking him about what he did or what steps he took uh, to try to eliminate some distractions as well. And the first thing he said was, I got off social media. Whereas Tate Martell is fighting with dudes on social media who are trying to comment on his girlfriend's page. Um, his girlfriend's got a million damn followers. So uh, don't worry about it, man. Like, like, let's be honest. Let mama handle her business on social media. Let her get her likes. Um, you don't need to fight everybody that makes a comment about your girl on social media. So um, shout out to Jaron Williams for, for not only earning the starting quarterback position, uh, getting the nod from, uh, from that coaching staff, and, uh, and, and I also even asked Manny, like, what was the thing? You know, if these guys were so neck and neck and, and so inseparable throughout the camp that they couldn't make a decision on who was going to be the quarterback, what was the decision that ended up propelling Jaron Williams to make that choice uh, of being the, the QB1? By the way, I can't freaking stand that term. QB1 of the University of Miami. And, and, and his answer, frankly, was, Jaron Williams just got it like his his decision making process, his his comprehension, his outlets, the way that he went about his business, the way that he went to practice every day, competed, uh, kept his head up, understood the process. That was the deciding factor, you know, um, arm strength, uh, rollout ability, uh, movement, all that other stuff. It really you know, a, a lot of the fundamentals that, that coaches make the decision on really wasn't the one. It, it was more of the, the underlying factors, to be honest with you. It was, uh, it, was, it was some of the things that people would not be able to see who weren't around him 24-7 like the coaching staff. Were. That, that's, that's another thing. You know, it's like you got a lot of armchair quarterbacks that are out here that watch practice, uh, the ones that they're allowed to see or read the media outlets or, or see the Saturday games. And everybody has their opinion on who should be doing what. Um, trust me when I tell you, uh, even myself who understands the game of football, when I wasn't around, I had my own opinions as well. But, but now that I've seen firsthand what's going on over there, I had no shit either. You might, you might thought I might have known shit, but I had no shit either. So trust me when I tell you, um, if you don't watch these young men walk through the facility, lace their cleats up, get taped, watch them treatment-wise, watch them how they study, watch them in their meeting rooms, see them handle their business on the field. You don't know shit. And, and it's one of those things that, that coaching staffs try to pound into these young guys' heads 
that don't listen to the outside world when it comes to uh, opinions and, and, and the shit talking and who should be starting and who should be at running back. It's, it really, opinions outside that facility really don't matter, to be perfectly honest with you. Mine didn't matter. And that's the first thing that I told these young dudes when I went over there with McKinney was, look, I'm here to break you down on what I'm watching, on what I'm seeing. How can I help you? What little tricks of the trade that, that I can provide for you to make you better? Once I leave, I'm out. I, I might be up in the rafters. I might be a story or, or, or a person on film that your coach might show you. But other than that, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Like that, that's the one thing that I can't get over is the level of sensitivity on some of these dudes nowadays. It's just, it's mind boggling. Perfectly honest, the, the, the two hours that I spent over there, the first time I went over there, I ripped their ass for two hours. It wasn't like, hey, nice to meet you. Shake your hand. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be here. I freaking tore into them for two hours. I almost felt like it was a roast. Like, like no bullshit. I felt like it was a roast. I critiqued. I, I offered insight. I, uh, I told them how to do things uh, without trying to obviously step on any toes over there because, you know, Coach Butch Berry, that's, that's his crew. And you never want to go ahead and... And, and, and contradict something that's being coached day in and day out. So, you know, you got to walk a fine line on, on what kind of advice you can give some of these young men. A lot of it is just, just listening. Like, like that's, that's for the most part what I, what I did when I went over there was just tell me how coach teaches you how to do this. Tell me what coach says when, when you got this look. What are you guys looking at? What are you looking for? Um, and then I just try to go in and, and, and ultimately help out on top of that. Like that's, that's where I feel like I'm, I'm probably at my best in, in providing knowledge is, is how to take whatever coach is saying a little bit further. So our offensive line, who I've been really, really close with, I want to get into one dude, and it's one dude that I've gotten into uh, on here quite a bit, and that's Corey Gaynor. Like I said a year ago, two years ago, when we first started out the huddle, Corey Gaynor is your leader. And I'm not talking about just on your offensive line. I'm talking about on offense. Like a redshirt freshman, let me tell you a little story about Corey Gaynor. I don't know if you know this, Stoneman Douglas, that's where he came from. Uh, unfortunately, his, his football coach in high school uh, sacrificed, you know, his ultimate, uh, his ultimate, uh, deal, his life for the student body and, and the students and, and a lot of the football players at that, uh, at that high school program up in Parkland. Um, Corey Gaynor was hurt by that. He was a year removed and, um, and still to this day, wears that badge of honor and, and that, uh, 21 strong, hashtag uh, that, that he has. Um, Corey Gaynor is one bad motor scooter, man. Um, uh, I'm talking about a, a, a sponge of knowledge. He knows everything when it comes to this offense. He has sat in meeting rooms for hours and hours and hours when not asked to. Um, he brings everybody together. 
You ask anybody on defense if they want to go ahead and, uh, and get a point across, they go to Corey. If you want to ask anybody on offense who speaks in the huddle, it's Corey. Uh, the quarterback position has no voice on this team right now. And unfortunately, that's the way it probably will go uh, for this year until, until Jaron drops his nuts and, and ultimately owns this program and owns this team. But right now, you're dealing with an offensive lineman uh, who's the voice of, of our program right now, uh, especially on the offensive side of the football, aside from Shaq Quarterman. Those are your, your two leaders of this program. And thank God these guys are, are, are together all the time. Offense, hanging out with defense, uh, trying to learn why the opposite side of the football is doing what they're doing. It helps them understand a lot more about why they are asked to do certain things at their position and how other spots, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, how those styles of the way that they're playing on the football field help out what they're being taught. So, you know, without getting into too much detail about, about positions and players and crew and, and, and emotional status, it's about this weekend. Like, to be perfectly honest, um, I really do no more than I should, to tell you the truth, on, on the status of this program and what's going on right now. Um, and I can't tell you everything, but I will tell you this. Manny Diaz, Coach Baker, and Coach Banda are about to unleash the freaking Kraken, the goddamn Kraken on the Florida Gators offense. I'm talking blitz packages. I'm talking defensive schemes. I'm talking stand-up, hand-in-the-dirt, linebackers roaming, defensive ends roaming. This is going to be utter chaos. Because again, you're dealing with week one of college football. You're dealing with teams that aren't too polished right now. So the, the quick reaction time of a quarterback is nowhere near what it's going to be like in week seven and week eight of the college football season. Mistakes are going to be made on that football field. Hopefully more of them so made on, on the University of Florida side of the ball. But, but, uh, but don't, don't get it twisted. Both sides are going to have a couple screw-ups. Uh, it's going to be who can capitalize on those screw-ups. Who are, who are going to have the screw-ups when they're not detrimental to the outcome of the football game? Turnover-wise, fumble-wise, uh, scheme breakdown, that type of thing. Uh, it's going to be about minimizing those mistakes. All right, let me get into a little bit of what I've seen over the last like month and a half over there at the facility, okay? Number one, I want to start with the coaches. Dan Enos, holy shit. Holy shit. The Saban tree, my God, that apple didn't fall far. So if you're not a big Saban fan because you're a Miami Dolphin fan or you just don't like the devil himself, uh, Nick Saban uh, has, has kind of groomed Dan Enos to be, my opinion, uh, might be one of the biggest coaching assholes on the football field you can ever have. Um, I've never heard a coach yell more in my life. To be perfectly honest, it blew my mind. He was yelling so much that he almost passed out one day at practice. No bullshit. Dan Enos was screaming at so many people, coaches included, 
that he almost went down. He almost took a nap, man. I think it was like 114 that day on the football field. It was like at the beginning of Hell Week that they called it. They had like a nice little Hell Week chant. But that Monday morning, man, Manny Diaz had to start practice over like three or four times. Personnel packages were wrong going in. Guys were taking turns, screwing the pooch, taking it easy, being lazy. Attitudes were shit. I'm talking bad, man. Like guys just didn't even want to practice. They they knew it was going to be hell going into it. And this is the big difference that, 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 that these young men need to get over this hump of what type of person, it's like everything in life and every day you wake up in the morning and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you spill your coffee, you rip your shirt, you maybe shit your pants a little bit because you thought you had a nice fart in the car, but ooh, oh, definitely not. That one came out wet, but this is the situation. You make a decision every day when you wake up, right? And this is what I was trying to tell Navon Donaldson. You look like shit right now. You're moody, you're pissy, you're not practicing well, you're bringing people down around you. These young men see this preseason All-American, all the hype is built around number 55, our left guard, but you're walking around here moping. Man, get your ass in gear, make a decision. Tell me what's up. So I had like a little side conversation with him like, yo, dude, I'm not your coach, I'm not your buddy, I barely know you. Tell me straight up. What's up? What's the problem, man? What, what are we going to do to correct this right now? Because, you know, you got like NFL scouts that are walking around at practice. They see every single freaking thing you're doing. They know your attitude, your body language. That's before they even ask coaches the situation with them. So you got Navon, who's kind of mopey a little bit. And I said, straight up, dude, tell me what's the problem. What's up? And it was one of those things where he's like, man, you know, it's just hot and you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't wake up today and it just, it's been shit. And I looked at him straight in the face. I said, look, brother, you got, you got two choices to make. You either go ahead and screw the pooch, make everybody around you miserable, keep screwing up at practice, make the coaching staff very pissed off to go in there and watch a shitty film of your performance, or you make the decision right now to turn this shit around. You get the guys next to you, you get the guys in front of you, you get the guys behind you, you make a decision to turn your shit around right now. Because no matter what, you're going to be out here for the next two hours, whether you like it or not. It's hot, it sucks, you're working. That's why it's called work, it's not called fun. It's called work. You're working your craft, you're perfecting your technique. You're trying to make sure that all of your drill work, you're you're paying attention to detail so that it carries over into the team drills. That's what your decision is going to be right now. So you either make the decision to be better, to work your craft, to bring everybody up around you, or you continue to be a cancer. Straight up. And he looked at me kind of like, damn, you know, like, got you. I got you. 20 minutes later, Navon Donaldson is calling up the freaking team on offense and saying, you know what? I started this day off shit. Now let's go ahead and bring this shit right because nothing was going right at that point in time in practice for the offense. Nothing. Not even able to get a playoff for Christ's sakes. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's one of the things that, that we're dealing with as a young football team, as an offensive line, is just mentally being able to overcome stuff. So, you know, you, you got Dan Eno's barking at everybody. He's trying to see, like, he, you got you to see, like, you're coming from Alabama, right? And not to, like, 
put Alabama up on the top of the mountain because Lord knows they are. But when you got a guy like, for instance, from the Patriots coming and play with your program, he's coming from something special. He's coming from something elite. He's coming from something that is damn near perfection. So whatever Dan Enos, regardless if like coaches can work for Nick Saban or Nick Satan or whatever nickname you want to give him, Dan Enos brought over some of the Crimson Tide shit. Like what makes them successful, especially dealing with young quarterbacks who right now don't own, don't know their their ass from a hole in the ground, who need to be coached up and critiqued and perfected, and they need a coach with attention to detail. They need complexity. They need a new offensive game plan, and they need a new mindset. They need to know that if they want to go ahead and take a shortcut, that Dan Enos is right there to go ahead and bark in their ear immediately. They need Dan Enos right now as an offensive coordinator. Fast forward a few years from now, Dan Enos turns this program around. Dan Enos is gone. But again, he was a former head coach. He understands what it takes. He knows what his role is now as, as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. He doesn't want to wear that hat right now as the head man. The responsibility is ridiculous. And you get to step away from that right now as, as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. You get to perfect the young men that are in your room the five or six guys that are there and establishing that offense. That's what his job is right now. And he's fully embracing that. And on top of that, he's got to work out all the bad habits that were here last year. And that was another thing. That's a little bit of a carryover, uh, especially at the offensive line is just bad habits. And that's one of the things that coaches struggle with quite a bit when they get in here. But when you talk about leaps and bounds from where they were in March to where they are now, total different team night and day. Night and day. So kudos to Enos as our offensive coordinator right now. Uh, a lot of backstory, man. Like, like you want to talk about a coaching tree? Manny Diaz went out and personally, personally has worked with the majority of these guys that are on the staff. Thank God Band is here to keep these guys going. Baker, his co-defensive coordinator, is a guy that he brought in that he worked with back in the day. He knows exactly what Manny needs. So that's that's what was, I guess you could say, number one on Manny's list was to make sure that whatever he had cooking here on the defensive side of the football, that it was going to continue along with his linebacking core. That's one of the things that I guess you can say is going to be uh, the, the stone uh, of, of our team right now. The rock of our team is, is our linebacking core. And when you're dealing with Shaq, when you're dealing with Pinckney and McLeod, unfortunately, McLeod, we weren't able to see a lot of him last year because of his wrist injury. But but you got guys that have laced them up together from day one. Shaq Quarterman making the decision to come back here as a preseason second team All-American. I think by the end of this year, he's going to be that All-American linebacker that he dreams and aspires to be. Uh, Pinckney is going to be one of those guys. Michael Pinckney coming in lean. Thank God for Coach Feely and his strength staff. That's one of the things that I think we're going to notice quite a bit on the way that these guys look different in their uniform this year. Coach Feely, former FIU, uh, Temple uh, strength coach, is brought in some uh, Eastern European-style lifts and no fudge numbers. When I tell you no fudge numbers, I'm hearing a lot of shit that used to happen here was a lot of fudging of the numbers. Uh, by the time it got upstairs, it wasn't right. Uh, and, and I think that, that Feely has definitely steered this ship and is getting going in the right direction. His strength staff, his nutrition staff, 
Um, they all want the same thing. They're all on the same page, conforming Michael Pickney's body, making him lose weight. Um, I think there's a lot of guys that, that, that needed to put on man weight, and that being our starting left tackle, young Zion Nelson. That's my dude. That's the guy that I'm, that I'm excited about. Number 60 um, for, for the University of Miami right now. Uh, coming in at 245, 250 pounds, putting on 40 pounds, 50 pounds. Now he's up in 290. You want to talk about sweet feet? This young man's going to have some sweet feet. And I'm going to tell you right now, if he keeps going on the trajectory that he's on right now, his hands come together, his sets come together, he learns to handle his body weight, he gets stronger, man strength. This young man's not going to stay to his senior year. That's how talented I think he is. Is he going to have some bumps and bruises along the way? Yeah, yeah, he will. Um, he definitely will. Coming in as a freshman, uh, learning a new game plan, and going against number 92. But you know what? Once again, it's out the huddle, man. It's like getting superstar guests on, right? I told you we're going to be bringing in some superstars. So I thought, who better to ask than stud left tackle, Hall of Famer, my left tackle from the St. Louis Rams, about going up on big stages and playing in big-time games, big-time universities. You know who it is. It's Big O, Triple O-G, Double O-G, Orlando Pace. God damn, Golden Jacket Hall of Famer. And this is what Orlando had to say about being a big-time starter in a big-time game going against a big-time player. Hey, I remember being a freshman and having an opportunity to start day one at, at The Ohio State University. And I remember my first game, um, going out, my first thoughts were, man, guys are bigger, faster, stronger um, than, I, than I remember in high school. And I remember one game in particular, I was facing uh, Simeon Rice, who was at the time was the all-time sack leader in college football. And I can remember that week of, of, of practice, my coach really putting a lot of pressure on me to get me prepared. Um, and, and preparation is really the key, what was the key for me. Uh, just going into that game, knowing everything that, that, uh, that, that Simeon could do. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, third and long, his pass moves, his run, during, what he does during uh, run, run game, everything. And I, and I can remember being excited to play him. And I know going into that game, Simeon probably thought he was going to eat my lunch because he, he's facing a true freshman. He thought he was probably going to have an all-time day. And I can remember going in and, 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 and being battling. I mean, we battled the entire day. I didn't give up a sack, um, obviously. And then after that game, I can remember that giving me extreme confidence to know that I could play on that level in, that, in, those, in those big games against big-time players. And, and it, really gave, it really propelled me throughout the season because it did give me that confidence. And I remember our rivalry game, um, we played Michigan. And I remember, you know, I always equated to, to the Super Bowl because the first quarter of the Super Bowl or the first, you know, five or ten minutes of the Super Bowl, you feel like you're walking on air. And that's really the way rivalry games feel because the emotion that goes into it, the intensity that goes into it, everything that goes into those rivalry games. And, and, and it really shows on why you chose to be at that university, to play in those games. Your family's watching, your friends are watching, uh, and you want to come out because those – those games stay with you your entire your, your entire career uh, for bragging rights or whatever it may be. So I remember walking into that game and thinking, you know, obviously our game is at the end of the year, how, how intense it was, but it's still football. You know, once the excitement and emotion goes out, 
you still got to go out and win a, a football. And it may be a little extra will. It's my will versus your will. And, you know, that's what that's what rivalry games are for. That's why you go play. That's why you choose the university to be on that stage to play in big games. So that was a great experience for me at Ohio State. Orlando Pace, man. That guy made so much dough in his career, and he's so damn wallet tight. I imagine he still has the same amount of money. He probably didn't even cash any checks, bro. Big O, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, brother. I really appreciate it. Number 92 for the Gators is a very, very, very talented young man. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't want to pronounce it wrong and, and, and say a bad word, but it's Z-U-N-I-G-A. So whether it's Zuniga, Zuniga, whatever the hell his last name is, kick and play, man, kick and ball. Uh, him with that other defensive end that they had last year that ended up leaving early. Um, those two young men were balling. So look for number 92. He's going to be their main focus as well in a lot of their blitz packaging. They do a lot of stand-up, especially on third down stuff. Uh, look for, for number 92 to wreak havoc. Um, they, got, they got some linebackers as well, defensive backs that they like to incorporate in some of that blitz package all the time. They can get a bit hairy. Um, they're going to need a lot of preparation, a lot of film work, our offensive line anyway, on that third down package. So their defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, he's been there now for one year. He turned the program around for the most part. Um, he's, he's got 11 years of NFL experience. Like, that's all you need to say. He's been watching it done by pros for a long time. He was the D-line coach over there with Dallas Cowboys for a long time. So if you want to watch some really cool third down footage, watch the Dallas Cowboys uh, back around the 2008, 2007, 2009 era. That's around the time that he was there. He was a three years at, with, with the Browns as their defensive coordinator. They come up with some really crafty third down packaging, man. The nose tackle uh, runs some really funky stuff. They put an athletic guy up at the nose. Uh, they run a lot of chaotic safety blitzing, picking, uh, looping defensive ends, ear holing a lot of offensive linemen. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of that on third down packages. I just hope we're not in third and long. That's when you're going to see all guns ablaze. It, it's going to be pretty complex, and that's when that's when Todd Grantham is going to be going ahead and unleashing hell on, on our on our young, relatively inexperienced offensive line. And definitely, they're going to be trying to getting after our quarterback because you know hell bent we're going to be getting after theirs. So Manny Diaz, phenomenal defense. Dan Enos putting in uh, a very complex offense, but. But not necessarily complex in terms of the, 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 the depth of, of that playbook or the amount of calls. It's more of the, the looks that you're going to be getting off of the same type of call. Uh, he likes to go ahead and mix and match some of the packaging, ultimately giving you the same play, but it's going to look something totally, totally different. So, so personnel-wise, our coaching staff... Both sides got some new dudes, new gurus, um, but I believe at the end of the day, it's going to be their defense trying to wreak havoc on our offensive line and, and, and unfortunately for us, our young buck quarterback. Uh, our offensive line needs to go ahead and keep their offense off of the football field. Uh, I, I just need us to get a few first downs, get across the 50 a few times, maybe break a run or two by DJ. Now, I've been pretty happy with him throughout this camp. Uh, Dallas has done a, a pretty decent job for us. And, and I think that our wide receiving core is pretty decent as well. You know, you got Jeff Thomas, who a lot of people have been talking shit about uh, for the most part. 
over camp. Uh, they're not liking the productivity that he's had ever since that game against LSU where he went five for 132. Um, he, 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 he had a big game that game. He basically put himself on the map. He had 183 all-purpose against, against uh, LSU. But for the most part after that, it's kind of been touch and go, right? Like he, he, had, he had a lot of goals, to be perfectly honest, to, uh, to, to, to become the leading wide receiver. Um, but, but for the most part, he only had 35 catches for 563 yards. You know, you, you want him to, to become more of a 50-catch guy, uh, even more so uh, maybe around 800 yards if possible, a lot of long bombs. And maybe Jaron might be the quarterback to do so. You know, we've kind of struggled with, with a lot of downfield stuff in the past. And, and I think that, uh, that they're going to be utilizing Jaron's arm, his pocket presence, a little bit more uh, for our wide receivers. And then, you know, the addition, like I talked about earlier, uh, uh, of our guy KJ, um, the transfer from Buffalo, he's going to help out quite a bit you're going to hear his name called a lot and i think that's because of his his accountability so look for kj osborne uh, who's going to be who's going to be getting his name called quite a bit this year um our personnel on offense is pretty simple to be perfectly honest um we need to run the ball a little bit move the chains uh, maybe maybe hit some nice little routes um some nice little out routes maybe a couple dig routes with jaron but but ultimately keep him clean uh, as an offensive line. So, for instance, a lot of that 30 packaging that I was talking about, a lot of those blitz packages on third down that the Gators are going to be coming at us with, we need to keep it simple at the offensive line. Like slide, prote- slide protection, turn protection, we need that to be about as simple as possible and not turning our shoulders and just having our gap responsibility and, and just trusting the guy next to us. And, and I, think, I think we're going to be fine when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, the only time I'm nervous is when Donaldson thinks he needs to do too much. Corey Gaynor starts barking at guys, and all of a sudden our tackles are on, on islands and they're in no man's land. So uh, I think that as long as we keep each other, uh, I guess you can say tight, when it comes to our packaging and our, and our turn protection, I think we're going to be pretty good. And I know Enos is going to keep us in safe, uh, safe predicaments. Um, so I, I think on offense, as long as we – stay the course and, and not take too many shots. You know, we're going to take our shots once in a while, maybe at the end of halves, quarters, that type of thing. But, but not anything that, that is going to make Macho Mani Diaz look stupid on his opening day. I think that's what we're going to be looking at on the offensive side. More of a slow bleed, if you will. Uh, on defense, our D-line coach, this, this coach that we brought in, I love him. He doesn't say much. He's pretty calm. He's pretty collected. Uh, he came from NC State. He's been a kind of all over the place when it comes to uh, who he's coached. But this man produced three first-rounders one year out of NC State. Mario Williams, Manny Lawson, and McCargo. Three first-rounders. Uh, he's known for developing defensive linemen. And the fact that we've lost a few uh, over the last couple of years that wanted to leave early and get drafted in the 42nd round, which, like, come on, man, let's be honest, why not stay? Um, but, but everybody was nervous when Willis left. Watch our boy Ford. <laughs> Watch Ford. Shaq Quarterman told me, I cannot wait to see Ford play on Saturday night. When you got a linebacker excited about one of your defensive tackles being able to unleash hell, watch for Ford is what I'm saying. This man is going to have a breakout season. And you know our quarter, you know our linebacking group. You know, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney, and Zach McLeod. We're going to see a lot of them. Our defensive backfield, 
They got a hell of a matchup. Their bell's going to get go. Their, 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 their phone, their, their ringer, is going to get called quite a bit uh, this weekend. Uh, you got Banda, or sorry, Bandy, and Blades and Ivy. Uh, but for the most part, I think they're going to be testing our safeties. Bubba Bolden and Amari Carter, they're going to be testing those guys to find out how, how well they've been preparing, I guess you can say, uh, for this weekend's game. So kind of a little bit of dive into to the personnel, a little bit of coaching staff stuff. There's obviously going to be a lot more of that where it comes from a lot of critiquing uh but for the most part i just want to see excitement on our sideline i know they invited the all-americans to come back and and uh shit i took my own mug shot and sent it in and but i'm not going to be there but uh but yeah you're going to see a lot of all-americans on that sideline in, in orlando this weekend and uh, i just want to see our sideline absolutely lit i want to see the turnover chain come out my guess and, and i and i talked about it before i think we're going to get about three turnovers to be perfectly honest um i want to see that chain come out quite a bit i think it's about time that uh that that shaq quarterman made uh, the all-american team this year uh, i think that he's definitely very well deserved of, of that honor and uh and i'd like to see the next coming of vince wilford come in here with uh with our guy up front and forward i can, I, can, I really can't wait to see him do what he's about to do. I'm excited for him. And again, keep your eyes on Corey Gaynor. Please keep your eyes on Corey Gaynor. He really, like when I, when I tweeted out earlier this week about him going to tear somebody's heart out, he is salivating at being able to tear somebody apart. Like salivating. I've never met a man more, more, <laughs> more ornery and violent at that center position. Um, he's just an asshole. To be perfectly honest, he's not concerned with anything outside of football. Um, academically, maybe. I don't know. I don't really ask him about school. I could give a shit to tell you the truth. I want him to do well, and I want him to get a good degree, but I'm not over there for two hours a day trying to help him out get a college degree. Um, even to the point where I asked him about one of the guys on the team, and, uh, and I asked him how he felt about what he was doing, about one of the players was doing, and he basically looked at me and said, I don't give a shit. It's weird, man. He's like, he calls me sir. Uh, he calls me the goat. Um, but, but it's funny how his responses uh, really do show how transparent he is when it comes to the way he feels about football. It's, he's old school football. He's nasty. He's tough. He, he threatens his own players with violence. Um, keep your eye on 65 in the next coming years. Uh, my guess is he won't be around his senior year. That's how confident I feel about Corey Gaynor. And again, he knows everything there is to know about our offense and our, and our game plan. It's just a matter of him getting the other four fat guys surrounding him on the same page. So this is Romberg. Uh, I hate to end it on a note where uh, I'll just give you a stat about Ken Dorsey and, 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 my, and my time playing against the Florida Gators in the Sugar Bowl. Kenny threw for 270. Najee Davenport ran for two touchdowns. Jeremy Shockey had four catches and a touchdown. DJ Williams, our own Dime Life DJ Williams, got a touchdown that game. And the one thing that I can take from that game, the one thing that I found uh, in my memory bank of scrambled eggs, is we had so much goddamn fun. Like, I'm talking, it was so much fun whooping their ass in New Orleans. I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I couldn't freaking wait to play the Gators again, and we got to see them again in 2002 up at their home in the swamp. And it was so, 
people tell me about like you know eighty thousand or seventy thousand or whatever it was, man. That place was. You hear a goddamn mouse in that place by the end of that game. I'm telling you, bro. There was something special about playing against Florida that uh, that you really need to experience. And again, our fan base, our generation. And I'm talking about like a collegiate generation of four or five years. We haven't been able to experience that. So uh, I'm looking for this as, uh, as, as a giant, giant stepping stone of what's about to happen uh, for our program here in the next coming years. We got our head coach in place. We got our coordinators in place. We got our quarterback in place. Uh, let's see how he performs. Let's see how they all perform on Saturday night in Orlando at Camping World Stadium. This is Brett Romberg. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, and before I lose my voice, I, uh, I, I really, I really am beside myself right now to, to, to put my goddamn helmet on and do this one more time for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, Saturday night's going to be awesome. So all the Canes fans out there, uh, I love you guys. And, uh, and, and let's, let's really lay some groundwork and some foundation for the future of this this program. No more bitching and complaining about facilities. No more bitching and complaining about coaches. It's just uh, it's time to shut up and put up. You know what I mean? So uh, this is me, Brett Romberg, out the huddle. Go Canes.